So I watched Greyhound yesterday afternoon. I'm not going to spoil it for anybody, so if you're expecting spoilers, don't worry about it. But I did, uh, I wanted to watch it when I could enjoy it and not be distracted and a lot of those kinds of things. I really wanted to see it on the big screen, but obviously that's not going to happen, is it? At any rate, I sat down yesterday afternoon and loaded it up to watch it because it was something that I really wanted to see. Um, This is one of those cases where, again, people are going to get pissy about things because Tom Hanks, he, he hates Trump. He's a liberal. And for all I know, he might be. Um, He certainly probably doesn't agree with with all of my political positions. But we're not talking about Tom Hanks. We're talking about a story that's being told. Now, I want to be clear about this. Uh, The story that's portrayed in Greyhound is fictional. It, it, It didn't happen specifically. This was not history. Although... It is an amalgamation of a lot of stories, thousands upon thousands of stories that are very similar to this that did happen as uh, the U-boat war went on in the Battle of the Atlantic from 1939 to 1945 with its real, real meat of that fight from uh, 1940 to late 1943. The... The story is incredible, folks. All, all I can say to you is if you haven't seen the movie, go see it. Um, it's on Apple Plus, and I realize that at some point it will become available. Um, I really wish I could see it on the big screen. I just feel like they did such a fantastic job uh, with a lot of things. There are, there's some technical mistakes, but this is what I tell people all the time. I used to tell uh, my friend Dave Forsyth this when he was writing about uh, the USS Florida. Um if you tell a good story, the technical details aren't, they're not the critical point at which a story turns. If, you, if you've got a lot of technical errors in a story that's bad, um, then you're going to have a problem. Uh, see Crimson Tide. The movie Crimson Tide is a terrible story with a lot of mistakes in it, and that's what makes it even worse. But this movie, and then there are some movies like Hunt for Red October where they're not mistakes, they are intentional obfuscations, and and if you know what you're watching, you know that, so you don't worry about it, but uh, be that as it may. There are some minor technical mistakes in this. I mean very minor. Uh, one of the things that I will tell you is that they filmed it uh, live. They, they, they actually filmed it aboard a World War II destroyer that is a museum ship, and there are points in the film where if you know what you're looking at, you can tell that. Uh, if you don't know what you're looking at, you will never notice them. But there were a few things that I noted that, you know, technically that was like, well, that shouldn't be that way. Uh, there was one point where uh, he gives an order that's backwards, but it's no big deal. I mean, again, the story was so intense. Um, at one point, I had to pause the movie for reasons, uh, personal reasons, things going on in here. And so I paused it. And I didn't realize how far into the movie we were. And it was like, wow, that's uh, it's pretty intense. It is literally the story of about, I don't know, 24, 36 hours. And it, it clicks by real fast and real intense. And all I can say to you is, if you haven't seen the movie, you should see it. Uh, make, make the effort to see it. 
I'm not sure it would be worth buying Apple TV Plus for it. But if somehow or another you get that as part of your package or if you you have a chance to maybe borrow it from your kids or something, it is it is definitely worth the hour and a half to watch that. And it is it's just a reminder in a very again, a fictional kind of way, but it is a pretty good reminder of what the Battle of the Atlantic was really about and how intense it was. There's there's one particular this actually happens three or four times as I recall, but there's one particular thing in it that really sent me to the to the history books and I can't find where it did happen or I can't prove that it didn't happen. It makes sense that it happened, but I can't prove that it didn't happen and I can't find anything where it definitively says it did happen. But I'll tell you what, it's a creepy creepy thing. And Hanks's character Ernie the, the the commanding officer, the destroyer, the way he handles it um, is really good. And I, I think it was a great example of not just that generation's ability to fight war. It was a reminder of a simpler time when good and evil were clearly defined, when you didn't attack people for their political beliefs. Uh, you You accepted that there was a job to do and you did it. And that was pretty much it. And that was the, the way it went. The, the, the story is just really intense, folks. And I'm telling you, it is a, it is a shining example of Navy leadership. I mean, the, everything is done very, very precisely from that aspect. There's none of this stuff like you get in some other movies and TV shows where, where everything is sort of loose and you know, decisions made by committee and that sort of thing. I mean, there's, it is very, it very accurately portrays the relationship between a ship's crew and how they work together and how they do things together. And I can't recommend it highly enough. I thought it was a fantastic film. I will probably watch it again later this week because it's, it's really that good. What I, what I regret is that it won't be as intense the next time because I won't, you know, I'll know what's coming. Um, but next time I'll watch it with a more critical eye and I'll look for, for little things. And, uh, but it's a, it's a very enjoyable story. Of course, the novel it's based on is, is very, uh, a very good book as well. It is about a Canadian destroyer escort, not an American destroyer. And it's set in 1940. The book is set in 1940 instead of uh, when this one was set. And again, it's a fictionalized story, and I get that. Just put that aside. Don't let that, don't let that change your vision of it because it's really well done. And I was very impressed uh, with the way they did things, especially knowing how they shot the film. I was very impressed with the way they did it. And all I can say to you is, like I said earlier, <laughs> go see it. It's, uh, it's worth the effort. So we're now on day two of the Bonhomme Shard fire. We know a little bit more information than we knew yesterday. The, uh, the fire started deep in the cargo holds. Uh, it did not get to the fuel, which makes sense to me. Uh, had it gotten to the fuel, I think things would have been a little more obvious. They, it did not get to the fuel. In fact, uh, the Admiral Seabach, uh, Seabach, whatever his name was today, Sotek, uh, explained that there were, the, the fuel was much deeper in the hull. And uh, the fire, of course, burns up. And so it did not get to the fuel. Uh, the ship, we know a little bit more today than we knew, than I knew yesterday. Anyway, uh, the ship was being refitted 
to be able to operate the the F-35s like we talked about yesterday. It was going to become more capable than it already was. Um, and, of course, the fire overnight burning as much as 1,000 degrees, folks. I, I told you yesterday, fire on a ship is the most frightening thing there is. I mean, it just hands down is. I, I know people think flooding, but fire is just horrifying. I mean, it just really is when it comes to being on a ship. And I can tell you on a submarine, um, we, I, I got sent to damage control school um, somewhere around 1985, I think. And up to that point, damage control was always just kind of a, um, it was just kind of a theoretical thing. We'd practice it, but it was always in a controlled environment. It was always in a controlled uh, kind of situation. When they take you to damage control school, they take that controlled element out of it as much as they can. It's not a drill. You're not pretending to isolate flooding. They put you in a tank that if you don't isolate that flooding is going to fill up with water and there's no way out. The, the firefighting portion of that was um, absolutely remarkable because they actually started it by showing us the, the films from Apollo 1, the, the first Apollo mission, uh, which on January 27th of 67, uh, I believe, Grissom, White, and Chaffee died in that fire. And they, they show us this film, and they show us this whole thing, and then they say to us, uh, the time, from the time the fire was reported until it was absolutely too late, there was nothing that the hull ruptured of the, of the capsule was about 12 seconds. And then he says to us, now, in, in, in your area, let's say you have a fire in the torpedo room. Auto two fuel spills, catches fire, the torpedo fuel catches fire. You're in a closed environment underwater. Once you secure the hatch to the torpedo room or the forward ops compartment, whichever you happen to have on your boat, you are now isolating that compartment, which means that that fire is consuming the oxygen in that room. It's also pressurizing. It's raising the pressure in there. You get what's called flashover. Um, there was a movie some years ago, and I don't remember the name of it, uh, that, that talked about a little bit. That may have been the name of it, flashover. I don't remember. Uh, but this idea is that the, when, the, when the lagging on the hull catches fire and the fire just explodes, basically. And then he looked at us all and he said, if, you're, if you have that fire in your torpedo room, you literally have about 45 to 60 seconds to put it out. If you don't put it out in 45 to 60 seconds, you never will. It was sobering. I mean, it really was. Damage control up to that point had been, you know, how to use a fire extinguisher, what kind of fire extinguisher to use on what kind of fire. Um, it really hadn't been, and drills on the boat. It really hadn't been real until that moment for me. And again, October 31st, 1986 came around, and, and I heard those words, fire <coughs> in the engine room. And... Your 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 reaction is instantaneous because you're trained to react a certain way. But it doesn't hide the fear. The fear is there. What if I get back there to the engine room and it's already it's already done? Um it was uh it's fascinating to watch. And so when I see what's happening to the Bonham Richard, and of course last night, overnight the flames, the fire reached the superstructure, the bridge. Uh, burned that out. The afterburn mast had collapsed by that point. Uh, the ship, nobody wants to say it from the Navy, but the ship is going to be a loss. 
Um, many people are speculating whether or not it's even going to stay afloat right there at the pier side. My guess is, and this is just my guess, you can take for what it's worth, I think it will, but I don't know for how long. Um, there's a The water there really isn't deep enough. I was talking with, I think it was Randy yesterday, about you know counter-flooding, some of the stuff that they've done at Pearl Harbor, like the USS California, where the fires were below decks, and they, they counter-flooded, and they set, a, set it down on the bottom of the port on an even keel. There was some thought that maybe they would try that here, but the fire is in the upper decks, and I don't think that water is deep enough to matter. I, it might be, but I know I know where we tied up in Bangor it was, uh, but here certainly not. So we'll see what happens. I, I, the, the effort that's going into this is remarkable. Uh, firefighting teams from different ships are now showing up. Uh, there are still trying to, I mean, it's the Bonhomme Richard, folks. They haven't begun to fight yet. That's the motto of the ship. We have not yet begun to fight. And they are certainly making every effort that they can to to make this, uh, to try and save her. And who knows if they'll be successful or not. I, I still believe that the Navy will not be horribly, horribly depressed over losing her uh, because, again, the Americas are coming online and they are far more capable ships uh, than the WASPs class were um, or are because there's still a bunch of them left. But uh, we'll see. We'll see what happens. We'll keep an eye on it. Again, no deaths. And that, to me, is just remarkable. Oh, we, we have confirmed, by the way, we talked about it, uh, the unconfirmed report. We have confirmed that the fire suppression systems were tagged out. They were undergoing maintenance and they were not functioning at that point, which doesn't surprise me at all. Uh, she was in a maintenance yard period being overhauled. Uh, it was a Sunday. 90% of the crew was gone. If you're going to shut down the the fire suppression systems, that's when you do it because it's it's a safer way to do it. Uh, yard fires are surprisingly not all that uncommon in the big, wide, wonderful world of the Navy. It's something that happens on a pretty regular basis. Uh, this one got out of control and We'll see what happens when they when they do the inevitable lessons learned in the investigation and they try to find out what caused it. We'll see. But until then, anything else is just speculation. But I'm very proud of the way the Navy, the crews, the, 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 the sailors have handled this. There's some discussion about big Navy, the admirals and PIOs and that kind of stuff. Uh, there's, some, there's some real issues about how they handled things yesterday and communicating what was going on to the people and government of San Diego, uh, but that's that's above my pay grade, so I'm not going to worry about it. One other thing I want to cover today, um, and again, the purpose of these is not to be full-on shows. They're just to give you quick thoughts about events, thoughts, and life, and what's going on. Um, I got a I got into a discussion this weekend, and I was actually talking to, to Rod about it on Sunday. Um, someone had sent me a, a thing telling me that the the CSA battle flag, you know, the one, uh, you know, the, the star, the, the, the Southern Cross, the Confederate Army battle flag. They had sent me a thing about this and, and they were correcting me. And I'm doing the air quote thing here about my comments previously about the Confederate battle flag. Now, there's some things you need to understand. The Confederate battle flag is not the flag of the Confederacy. It is. It was not. It never was. Uh, it was incorporated in the second and third national flags, but it was not initially the national flag of the Confederacy. 
If you want to know what the initial flag of the Confederacy looked like, go look at the state of Georgia's flag and replace the seal of Georgia with the star with a with a round star. I think it's seven or eleven stars in a circle. That's the original Confederate national flag, which is why I kind of, you know, said the other day, way to go, Mississippi. Welcome to the 21st century. Now we're looking at you, Georgia, uh, because you changed your flag to the Confederate national flag. Um, At any rate, they sent me this thing explaining to me that my interpretation of the CSA battle flag is wrong and that the CSA battle flag is, in fact, a Christian flag. I'm not making this up. They explained to me that the... The cross of St. Andrew and the stars stand for liberty and the red is the blood of Christ and the blue is the purity of the Holy Spirit and blah, 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 bullshit. Um, You you get my drift. And here's the thing. It never was that. The person that designed it never had any of those things in mind. In fact, uh, he was pretty much, the guy that designed it was pretty much a, um, well, he was a white supremacist, a racist, and believed very strongly in the cornerstone ideas of the Confederacy, which are that the, the Negro can never be equal to the white man. That's what he believed, and that's what he, he did. He designed that flag because it didn't, he, they were trying to design, he was a member of the Confederate Congress, and he didn't want, they were trying to decide on a national flag, and this is what he threw together, thinking that it would be less like the American flag than the original Confederate emblem ended up being. He never, Christianity and symbols never crossed his mind. He was simply trying to make something that didn't look like the United States flag. Uh, It was rejected in favor of the original Confederate flag. And Robert E. Lee saw it and thought they needed a banner on for the Army of Northern Virginia specifically uh, that would identify them. And they went with that. And there's some differences. Obviously, the thing is square instead of rectangular and They were all meant for identification purposes. But part of this lost cause myth that we continue to talk about, particularly on on Constitution Thursday, is this, let's erase history. Let's let's not just change history. Let's erase it. And this is one of the things that I'm most upset by is the fact that uh, people are willing to, and, and a good friend of mine said this, why is it that people are willing to accept that people who wanted to enslave other people are better than the people who fought to free them. And part of this rationalization is in changing, trying to change, or at least saying we're changing the meaning of things. If you believe that the Confederate battle flag is a flag of Christian liberty, I'm just going to say this. Number one, there's no place for you here on this show. You don't even need to be a part of it. Don't listen. Go away. Number two, you're a fucking moron. It's that simple. This Confederate battle flag was the symbol of the Army of Northern Virginia, which was dedicated to the cause of destroying the Union, killing as many Yankees as they could, and enslaving people, period. That's what it was for. And when it was reincorporated into state flags in the, in the Civil Rights era, it's the reason for doing so was simply and only to stand for segregation, and, and this is some of what we're going to get into this week on Constitution Thursday, and white supremacy. That's all it was. And anybody that tries to tell me that by Christianizing something, by saying, well, this is a Christian symbol here, see, so that must mean the whole thing is Christian, is delusional. You are, you are drinking the Kool-Aid, and you are part of the problem. This goes back to what I've talked about, about frames of references. 
Just because you say something is Christian doesn't make it so. Just because you believe or, or want to believe or have, have decided that something means something that it doesn't mean so that you can feel better about it doesn't make it, uh, doesn't make it so. It isn't Christian, never was Christian. It wasn't designed to be Christian. Go read a history book, for God's sakes. Go read about the guy that designed it. Go read about the process that went into it. Go read about all those things and then come back to me and, and, and apologize because it's not only is it not Christian, but it would be an insult to Christianity. And the ultimate test of that is this flag was carried into battle by people who wanted to destroy the Union, who wanted to kill people who supported the Constitution of the United States. It was carried into battle by people who believed that their entire country's cornerstone was based on the simple idea that the African-American, was the Negro, could never be equal to the white man and that slavery was just fine and dandy. Are you willing to carry that flag into battle again? Are you willing to, knowing full well that that's what it means? Are you fully, or if you're a 1950s guy, a segregationist, that you believe separate but equal, are you willing to, to put that flag up and carry that and, and, and show people that that's what you are? Because I don't think you are. I don't think you're willing to shoot at anybody for that. Certainly not for those beliefs. You wouldn't put a swastika on your Christian flag and go, see, now it's Christian. You, you wouldn't do that. So putting a Confederate battle flag on something and going, well, but these are Christian symbols is the height of idiocy. And frankly, it's anti-American, anti-constitutional, and there's no way in hell that you're a real conservative, politically conservative, if you do that. See you tomorrow, everybody.